Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, What is the Church? Many think of the church as a building or organization, but scripture teaches something far different. The church is the community of God's people who gather for worship, love, and care for one another and serve God's purposes in the world. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's word in your life today. So uh, we're going to go ahead and dive into the teaching here this morning. I do want to remind you, if you don't have a communion packet, you will need one. We are going to be taking communion this morning. We normally will not do that indoors, uh, but due to the nature of the teaching we are today. Because today we're going to be looking at the church as the community of worship. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and Colossians 3, 16. The verses are there in your booklet. They're also going to be up on the screen up here. Um. Acts 2, verse 42, and then Colossians 3, 16. Hear now the word of the one true living God. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. In Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. If you study church history, one of the things that you'll discover is very often uh, we've sharpened our understanding of some truth in God's Word as there have been conflicts and arguments and discussions in the church. And you can see how these track throughout church history. And some of these are ones that recur, like trying to understand who Jesus is. There have been many uh, arguments over the deity and humanity of Christ through the ages. But some of them uh, kind of appear once and you know they're not quite as recurrent. In recent years, we've had what some people have referred to as the worship wars. A back and forth regarding, can you use modern sounding music in your worship? What is worship like? Now, some of these arguments, quite honestly, have simply been personal preference. I like this style of music, or I like this style of music, or I don't like that style, and I don't like this style. But some of it reveals some real misunderstandings regarding worship, and actually why the church gathers. Some of them have been quite consequential. So today we're going to be talking about what is worship. If the church is the community of worship, what actually is worship? And why does the church gather to worship? Now, as we've been going through this question of what is the church, we've also been following a few catechism questions. And I'm going to remind us of question 71 in the catechism. You know, are Christians... Uh, only called to be part of the universal church? And the answer is no. All Christians are called to be part of local churches where they are led and cared for by elders. We looked at that last week. Worship God, learn the scripture, receive the sacraments, pray together. We're going to be looking at all of that today. And then in the next couple of weeks, we'll be looking at serve one another and carry out the Great Commission together. We'll look at that in, in a few weeks uh, ahead. So, we want to talk today about this thing because worship God, learn the scripture, receive the sacraments, pray together are all part of this question of why the church gathers and what it means to worship God. So let's dive in. Now the first thing to understand is the church is actually a community of worship. 
That's why we are together. The church is a community of worship. Now, the first thing to understand about that is that means the church is the community of believers. The church is not believers and unbelievers. At least it's not supposed to be. The true universal church is only believers, and a local church is supposed to try and make sure that when somebody becomes a member, they really truly are a believer. Now, if you notice in Acts 2.42, that very first word says they devoted themselves. Now, obviously, you have to ask, who are they? Well, if you read throughout Acts chapter 2, what you discover is they are the ones who heard Peter's preaching of the law and the gospel. They responded to it. As we're told, they were cut to the heart, and they said, Peter, what do we have to do? And Peter says, you need to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And it is that group of people those who have responded to the gospel, who have now been added to the church, that is they. So the ones who are devoted to these things that we're reading about are actually believers. And so we must understand that when the church gathers, it does not gather as just a group of humans but rather is the community of believers. We don't just, if you want to think of it this way, we don't just gather as those who are descended from Adam. We gather as those who are part of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. The church is about believers in Jesus Christ gathering together. And this is why, again, I, I repeat this very often, but why the gospel has to be central. Because we are not coming together to talk about what's going on in our culture or all kinds of other things. We are here about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what unites us together. And each of us need to personally respond to the gospel. Because you could be here week after week after week after week. That does not make you a believer. And it doesn't actually make you part of the church. You could even convince the elders, trick us all, get through and become a member. That does not make you a believer. To be part of the they that is going on here in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 means I have responded to the gospel. I've been cut to the heart. I have repented of my sins and I have become a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what it means. And so the church, when we gather, this is one of the things that called worship, caused some of the worship wars is why do we gather? Who is it that's gathering? What's the purpose? And the church should always be considerate of visitors who are unbelievers. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, uh, or you're listening online and you're not a Christian, we certainly want to be considerate. We try to explain what we're doing. But to be blunt, the gathering is for believers to hear from God and to offer worship back to God. The meeting is not really about all the time trying to explain the gospel and get people to be believers. We, you certainly are going to hear the gospel today and other days, but we can sit down and have a cup of coffee and talk about that. Make no mistake, when we gather, we are gathering and the focus is God. God is the person that we are getting. God is ultimately the audience. It's not you and I. We're, we're participants. God is the audience for our corporate gatherings, and God is speaking to his people. Now, what that also leads to is then what the, what the church actually gathers for is to hear from and to respond to God in worship. We want to hear from God, and then we respond to him in worship. So notice again in Acts 2.42, what they devote themselves to is 
the apostles' teaching. This is the apostles opening up the Scripture, just like I try to do Sunday after Sunday or one of the other uh, elders or guys do here. We, we try to open up God's Word and teach it. It says that they were devoted to hearing God speak to them that way. And then to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So notice, God is speaking, and He actually even does it when we come to the Lord's table. And then we are responding back. There is, in essence, worship is a dialogue. It's a dialogue from God and his people. He speaks and we respond. As we hear who he is and what he has done, we respond to him in worship and prayer. And you can see the same thing actually in our other text, Colossians 3.16. Notice Paul's writing to a different group of people. This is Paul, not Peter, and it's a whole different group. But he says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And he's specifically speaking about here the gathering. That's when they're doing this. And notice that there is the word of Christ. And in fact, we're all speaking, and we're going to come back to this in a minute. When we were singing a few minutes ago, we were doing this verse. We were teaching and admonishing one another as we were singing things that are based upon the Word of God. And it's also that we are responding to God and offering ourselves up to Him and saying, you are more than enough. Everything I need, Lord, you are. That's our response of worship back to Him. So the Word of God is richly there in their midst. Believers are gathered to instruct one another in the faith, and believers are, as they're hearing and learning from God, they are giving thanks and praise back to Him. So the church is here, and we should always be aware of the needs of our members, even of unbelievers who come in here. We need to understand the dominant focus in worship is God. It's a weekly reminder, and this is a reminder we need. The, our culture is particularly oriented to saying, you are the center of the universe. This is a weekly reminder where God says, no, you're not. Everything does not revolve around you. It doesn't revolve around me. God is the center. And we are here to hear from him who he is and what he wants. And that even includes how he wants to be worshipped. He gets to determine that, not us. It's very, very important. And our task is to hear and then to respond back. So there is a Godward focus, and if there's not a Godward focus, it's not worship. Whatever else it might be, and it might be okay, but it's not worship. So now, what is the pattern of worship? Because that's actually what Luke is doing in Acts 2.42. He is describing what we sometimes now refer to as liturgy, and when we think liturgy, we think of like, you know, Catholics and Anglicans and or Eastern Orthodox people, but the word liturgy just means the, the work of the people is what it literally means. It's, it's how we respond to God. It's our pattern. And so notice here, there is, the church has a pattern of worship. In Acts chapter 2, the very first thing we see is the Word of God is the foundation of worship. So that's the very first thing that Luke says. You want to know what it was like to be a new believer? The first thing is you are devoted to the apostles' teaching. The apostles are opening the Scripture, and we know what it looks like because Peter had just done it in Acts chapter 2 where he opened up Joel 
and some passages from the Psalms. We know what it's like because we have other sermons scattered throughout, and then we actually have the letters of the New Testament. So they are opening the Word of God. And the foundation for worship has to be God's Word because through it, God speaks to His people and teaches us how to properly worship Him. How do we know what God wants? How, how did Israel know whether can we, can we make a golden calf? No, you can't because God's Word tells you He doesn't accept that kind of worship. Can, well, can we have other images? Actually, the second commandment. The first commandment, God says you can't worship other gods. The second commandment, God says, here's how you worship me or don't worship me. I don't want you making images because you are the image of God. And any other image you make is going to be a degradation of who God is. So God's Word teaches us who God is and how He wants to be worshipped. And that means that a church that does not read and teach God's Word and does not let it govern all of their life and worship is actually losing its connection with Jesus Christ. It's losing who it is. Too often the, the modern church is taking our cue from culture as to what we need to do when we gather, and that's a completely backwards approach. We are here to hear from what God wants, because if God is the audience of worship, then it doesn't matter whether I like it or you like it, it matters whether God likes it, because we're here to please Him. And the Scripture, we remind ourselves, the Word of God is God's eternal, infallible truth. And so a church has to be saturated in Scripture so that its truth forms and fashions our heart and our worship as we gather as the people of God. So notice Colossians 3.16. Paul doesn't just say, have a little Scripture. He says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the Word of Christ soak in and saturate you. You, as you gather, need to be marinated in the Word of God. Not just in the teaching... Every part of when we gather, from when Tony stood up this morning and begins us with Scripture, as we are singing, we are singing Scripture. Our prayers are full of Scripture. When Bobby comes up, he prays, and he knows it's Psalm 103. That's not just because we're random and we can't figure out something to say on our own. It's because God's Word is the warp and the woof. It's, it's the very fabric of our worship, our understanding. And so that's why Paul here tells them, look, it dwells in you richly, not just when the teaching is going on, but you are teaching and admonishing one another. You are singing God's word to each other, and that is instruction, and it stirs up gratitude in your hearts. And so even our songs and prayers are to be rich in the word of God because the word reveals God in all of his glory to us, and then it gives us the language and actions to respond in worship, and also in prayer. And so I would encourage you, sometimes if you, you know, people are like, I, I'm not sure what to pray. Open up the book Psalms. Open the, the epistles in the New Testament and just pray those prayers. If you don't know what else to pray, let the Word of God instruct you in how to pray. And you've got the added benefit, you know, Paul tells us, writing by the Holy Spirit, we don't know how to pray, but we do know God's approved those prayers that are in Scripture. We do know we're praying according to His will. And it's the same thing even when we gather. So the Word's got to be read, sung, prayed. And then it gives us, um, uh, in, in all of its fullness, that, that means that 
that when we teach it and when we're doing all these things, the Word is dwelling richly. That's what causes us to grow strong in Christ. A church cannot flourish apart from the Word of God. Second point, the sacraments are a critical part of worship. So notice Luke uses the language here that they're devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, I've mentioned this before, but breaking of bread, whenever you see that in Luke's writings, it doesn't mean just having a meal. He's talking about the Lord's Supper because we actually break the bread uh, when we do that. And so they are uh, to be committed to try and do that. And so, and if you look in Acts chapter 2, you see that the first act of worship for new believers was being baptized in water. In Acts chapter 2, verses 36 uh, to 39, they're baptized in water, which is a sacrament. So the very first thing you do, your first obedient act of faith is one of the sacraments. We are baptized in water. And then the people are regularly coming to the Lord's table for this breaking of bread so that they can participate together in doing that. So water baptism and the Lord's Supper are more than just rituals. Okay, when, when God has brought this together and he says to meet with him, it's not just for some kind of ritual. Rather, they are actually sacraments. Now, I'm not going to teach a lot on these this morning, but it's important for us to understand a sacrament is a special symbol that God has given to his people so that when it's received in faith, it serves as a sign and seal of God's promises to us. It functions as a means of grace to strengthen us. And through the sacraments, we testify of our faith in God and his promises. Sacraments are not merely empty rituals. They are rich expressions of who God is. And so in water baptism, we are marked off as the people of God. We put off the old man of sin. And if you read the language in the New Testament, it's not just a, you know, some kind of a representation. There's actually a burial of the old man that happens in water baptism. And we are clothed with Christ. That's what Paul says. If you've been baptized in Christ, you are clothed with the Lord Jesus Christ. At the Lord's table, we regularly feast upon the grace of God, freshly receiving grace and all the benefits uh, of Christ and his life and death for us. And so this is an essential part of why we gather. One of the things that's happened in, in modern churches, to be honest, is we've really downplayed the sacraments, and it is to our detriment. We should not downplay the sacraments. They ought to be uh, an essential part of our worship. But they are received only as part of worship with God's people. And what they're doing then is they are reinforcing our critical need to gather for, for worship. You can open the scripture and read it on your own. So can I. I can pop in a worship CD and I can sing. I can pray on my But we come together to come to the Lord's table. And if I just sit at home and dunk myself in a tub, that's not water baptism. Okay, it doesn't work that way. They are part of the church's worship and life. And God does that because it's a constant reminder we need one another. We are to gather with each other. So we have here that God is speaking to us through his word and actually in the sacraments, God is speaking and visibly reminding us of his covenant and all he has done for us. Well, 
what do we do? We respond back. We respond certainly in the sacraments, but we also respond in prayer. And that includes our singing is actually part of our prayers to God. So notice in Acts 2.42, we read um, they were devoted to the prayer. And it's literally in the Greek, it's kind of funny, it's the prayers. It's quite clearly that it is plural, the prayers. And what I think this is saying is, again, this is not just that disciples individually were at home and they woke up in the morning and they had a quiet time and they prayed. It's saying when they came together as a congregation, they, they were devoted to the prayers. And we know actually from Judaism, what they oftentimes did was, you got to remember, they didn't have uh, screens with the scripture on it. When somebody's going to stand up and preach, you had to open a scroll and roll it, and it took quite a while to roll the scroll out. And while you were doing that, they had all basically memorized the psalms. And you would just sing a psalm as you would go along while they were unrolling it. And this was the prayers of the people of God. Uh, Preeminently, the book of Psalms uh, served that function in the early church. And actually, interestingly enough, even among various groups like St. Augustine, the brothers that he lived with when, when he was a monk, they, they prayed through the entire book of Psalms every single week. That was why the Psalms were just so much part. They, they could just quote them. If you read Augustine's Confessions, it's just full. The Psalms just flow out of him as he's doing all of that. And so th this is all the prayers that they're doing. And in prayer, we respond to God's word to us. We might be reciting his promises. Uh, we recount his truth but we also confess our sin and we give ourselves back to him. Again, if you read the prayers in Scripture, like if you read Psalms, much of it sometimes is just recounting God's truth, reminding and saying, oh, Lord, you promised this. Lord, you said this. Father, I believe you. I confess that I have fallen and I've come short, but I'm claiming your promises. And it's a response of us back to God. And it includes praying the words of Scripture and also the personal prayers of response. We don't have to pray the words of Scripture. We have freedom, but, but it can be both of those. And I want to encourage us to think about this this way. I'm going to maybe try and shift our thinking a little bit this morning. Again, when Marty and the team were up here and we were singing earlier, they're actually leading us in prayer to God. That, that's really what it is. That, that's part of what Luke is talking about here is we are uh, responding in prayer that is done in song. Notice again in Colossians 3.16, Paul says, let the word dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. We are responding back to God, and so those songs that we're singing this morning are giving us rich truth by which we respond to God, and they really are prayers. And so I would encourage and challenge you to think about it a little bit differently. The singing is not, this is my chance to imagine I'm a rock star. The singing is a time when I'm saying, you know what? As I'm singing this, we're actually instructing one another. This is the truth. Oh Lord, you are more than enough. There are 10,000 reasons I should be praising God. It's a chance for me to offer myself back to God and to say, you are worthy of me and of all of my obedience. Lord, shape and mold and form me. So singing is not just we happen to like to sing, it is actually part of how God calls us to worship Him. And it is an essential part of how the Word dwells richly and BRCC. 
And so spoken and sung prayers and praise, they're the natural response. See, to think that we could come together and have God address us and speak to us regarding who he is, what he's like, and how forgiving he is to us in Christ, if that doesn't prompt a desire to talk back to him, to pray back to him, including in song, then friends, we're not paying attention to what God's saying. We're not seeing how great he is, and we're not responding as we ought. Uh, a couple of verses that point this out. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter's writing to these uh, Gentile believers, and he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. By the way, that's Exodus 19, 5 and 6, and Isaiah 43, 21, that he's just meshed together. Again, the, the scripture being so rich there. And he says, but here's why. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Peter says, do you understand? You were not the people of God, which is what he's going to say in the next verse, and now you are the people of God. You are by nature children of wrath, and now you are objects of mercy. You were wandering and far from God. You were aliens. You were strangers from God's people, and you were at home in the world. Now you've been made at home among God's people, and you're aliens and strangers in the world. And when you consider that, what can you do other than declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light? It's the natural response. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says, there, uh, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. This is, in the Old Testament, you had praise offerings. Okay, There, you would do things like either bring some you know, wheat down and burn it, or you would bring down you know, an animal and sacrifice the Lord. But that's not what we do anymore. Notice how he tells us how to do it. Here's a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that confess his name. So when you hear and see God's grace, the natural response back is my lips profess and confess his name. So our times of singing and prayer are not optional add-ons to hearing the word. They form the heart of our response to God. Then the last area, and then we'll turn to applying the word, is worship is a communal expression of the church that strengthens our bonds with God and with one another. If you were paying attention, I skipped one little phrase there in Acts 2.42 because I wanted to come back to it at the end. And that's that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the koinonia, to the sharing of life with one another. So our corporate worship is primarily focused on God, but it has an effect on our relationships with one another. If you regularly gather in worship with people and you are hearing from God together and responding to God together, it has a natural bonding effect. So as we gather for corporate worship, God speaks to us as his people through his word. He meets and strengthens us in the sacraments, and we respond as a community in these spoken and sung prayers. And as we're doing that, it's naturally sustaining and strengthening our relationships with one another. Because we realize, again, what we've been talking about really for the last two series together. The thing that identifies me is not that I was born down south. 
It's not that I went to the Naval Academy. It's not that I was a Marine. It's not that I'm white, that I'm male, that I'm a certain height, that I got blue eyes, that I happen to like this type of music or that type of That's not my identity. My identity is that I am a human being, the image of God, who was fallen but has been redeemed by Jesus Christ. And that is what defines me at the deepest level. And if we are together week after week after week reminding and renewing ourselves of that fact and responding to God out of that fact, it immediately starts bonding us with one another. And if I don't gather with the church, it has the opposite effect, which is the bonds are loosened. They're broken. It doesn't matter how else I'm trying to do it. We can try to email. But, but when we're not able to gather, it, it weakens the bonds. And so this is why merely listening to a teaching via podcast or singing along with a Christian CD is not worship in the New Testament. Worship in the New Testament is incarnational. It means we come together whenever we can. There are times we can't because of weather or a worldwide pandemic or whatever else, but those are the exception, not the rule. As a rule, we gather because worship is incarnational. Now, how do we apply the word? Um, and, and if I can, I, I know Seamus is hearing me outside, I need to get one of the little communion packets because I'm going to need one in a moment, and I forgot to grab one, even though I've told you two multiple times. Um, the question in applying the word is, do I treasure corporate worship? Because see, this is when we say, what is the church? One of the key things is, we are the community of worship. Thank you. Yes. Um, we are the community of worship. God uniquely meets with us when we gather. So do I let this critical gathering structure my life? See, friends, if things are really, really important, I fit everything else around them. I don't make them fit with everything else. Everything else fits around it. When I used to run, you know, half marathons and marathons, things did not interfere with my training. I mean, I ran through torrential downpours, freezing cold weather, and I figured out if I had to be somewhere and I had to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to go run it because everything else was structured around that because it was important to me at that time. Then I got my common sense back and decided that that's not what's so important. Do we, how do we approach this? Does this have priority in our life as long as nothing else is in the way? Or do I say, no, this is essential and everything else is going to fit around it. Which way do we do it? Because we need to understand this is essential. And let me be clear, this was essential for me long before I became a pastor. Long before. It was ever since I became a believer, from, from the day I got saved, gathering with God's people was the priority. Is that the way it is for us? When we talk about doing this, and I would add as well to continue to think on that last point, the Sabbath principle, we don't have a specific day that it has to be in the New Testament, but the principle of a Sabbath, a day of rest and remembrance and worship is absolutely essential to your physical and spiritual well-being. 
absolutely essential. And you don't let other things... Our culture runs 24-7 the same. It acts as if there's no difference. We as the people of God don't do that. We're marked by saying, no, we set aside a time that is different than everything else. Secondly, do I come prepared to worship? If I've made it a priority and I'm going to be here, do I come prepared to worship? I'm going to talk about this a lot more. You can dig into after hours, and I'll just give you some tips of kind of what I do. But it's the kind of things that we're talking about. Do I get to bed early on Saturday night? If it's a priority, do I do that? Okay. There were times in my Christian life when I didn't, and I was even doing good things on Saturday night, but then I'd be exhausted the next morning. And we all know what it's like if you're completely tired and wiped out. I'm not getting anything out of it. Do I get here early? Okay, not, not late, nor not one second before it starts. Do I gather early? Not because, you know, I lose brownie points with Jesus or something. It's too hard to jump in in the middle. And if this is as critical as the Scripture tells us, we want to be here. God is addressing us as his people from the very first moment. And we need that time to fellowship as well. So I encourage you to, to think through, do I really come prepared? This is important. Do I, do I prepare for this as seriously as guys who play in the NFL? See, they gear everything towards that game that's going to happen today. Because it doesn't matter what went on the other side. This is, this is when it's game time. And I'm ready for game time. Do we approach gathering as God's people that way? We really should. And again, you can listen to After Hours. I would encourage you to do that for just some more practical tips. And then finally, do I participate in every part of worship? Not, not just the parts that I kind of think I like, and this is a little bit more of my bent. Do I participate in every part? Do I actively listen to God's word as we're called to worship. See, when, when the person is starting the meeting off up here, you know, and we rotate through each of the elders who's doing it, but that's not the time for me to still be feeling around. I, I'm hearing God is beginning to call us to worship. That's what that is technically called. It is God saying, come in, come into my presence. And friends, it's so good. We don't have to get in a pilgrimage and drive down to Jerusalem and bring in animals and go in through several. We don't have to do it. Jesus has done all that for us. That, that is so good. But he is calling us into his presence. Am I actively listening to that to hear, to let it start orienting me back? Because if I'm not, then we start singing the songs which are response and I haven't even heard what I'm responding to yet. So do I, do I actively do that? Do I pray and sing robustly? And in my, in my notes, robustly is in all caps. And I should have put it in different color and circled it if I could. I mean, do we sing and pray robustly in response to our magnificent God and His glorious grace? It doesn't matter if you don't have a voice like, you know, pick whoever you're, you know, Whitney Houston in her prime or whatever. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you can go through three octaves. The point is, and have I seen what God has done for me? And is that prompting a response back? You don't have to be a great singer. You don't have to even be able to keep time that well or anything else. The, the measure of why I'm singing is not my skill, but how great God's grace is. Do I participate and sing robustly as we are gathered? Do I expectantly come to the Lord's table? What we're going to do in just a moment is not just a little ritual. It is us receiving 
from God? Do I come expectantly knowing the Spirit will meet me? He has promised to meet me and to strengthen me uh, and feed my very soul. And finally, do I spend time in fellowship with others to grow in community because we are not created to walk alone? And so it means I set this apart. This is special. And I urge you, come prepared and expectant to worship. God will meet you. He will shape your soul, and he will fill you with deep joy because he's promised to do so if we come with the heart that is right. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to be celebrating communion. And again, believing the Holy Spirit is going to meet us here. But what we have to do, there's a dialogue. The Lord's going to remind us of what Jesus has done. But we receive by faith. You receive nothing apart from faith. Okay? Hebrews 11 tells us that. We, we don't receive anything apart from faith. James tells us the same thing. It's by faith. So we're going to do this. Now what we're actually going to do is, and I encourage you, we're going to go ahead and stand because as we begin today, we're going to do a, a little, I'm going to ask you a question and we're going to have some words up here on the screen. Danny, you can go ahead and put them up. And just so you know, this is from 1 Timothy 3.16. This is a creed in the scripture. So we're going to do this together and we'll, you know, we'll kind of read, I, I broke it down line by line, but I encourage you to think through. This is God reminding us who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So brothers and sisters, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. Friends, this is the faith we profess. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. If you believe this, I invite you to the table of the Lord. So you can go ahead and get your packets ready. And friends, what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence here at this sacrament. Meet us so that these simple symbols of the bread and the cup may unite us with Jesus and all his saving benefits. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord Jesus, when you took flesh and tabernacled among us, you were the true temple of God. 
Yet you yourself declared that if those who rejected you destroyed the temple of your body, you would raise it in three days. They did break your body and crucify you, attempting to destroy you. But it was not they alone who did this. For it was our sin that required the cross. It was our sin that nailed your hands and feet. It was our sin that held you there until you died. But thanks be to God. As you promised, your body was raised in three days, overwhelming sin and conquering death. And in taking this bread today, we confess our own sin and we profess that our only hope of pardon is found in you. But this is a sure hope for you have conquered sin and the grave, and you give forgiveness and life to us, and we respond in faith and give you thanks. Thanks be to God for the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, take and eat. And Lord, on the night you were betrayed, you declared that your blood was the blood of the new covenant. In spilling your blood, you have done everything to pay the penalty for our sin, to open our path of restoration to the Father. But you call us to respond in faith. As your own brother in the flesh, James wrote, it is not enough to say we believe. Even the demons know that you are Lord. We are called to a true faith, a faith that knows the truth and actively embraces you. So in taking this cup, we acknowledge that as we just recited, you died so that we might be forgiven. We agree that this testimony is true, and we actively embrace you and this provision by faith, saying thanks be to God for the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, take and drink. Holy Spirit, We are ever dependent upon you. Apart from your work, our songs would be but empty tunes, our prayers only trite religious-sounding words, our teachings only words spoken by men. But you are powerful to work in these means of grace drawing us in so that we may truly worship, interceding and guiding our prayers, even when we don't know how to pray, anointing the reading and teaching of the Word of God so that it becomes the very words of life. And you too work in this simple sacrament so that we have feasted upon the grace of God have been united with our risen Lord and are actively brought to Him in faith. So we pray, Holy Spirit, come, fill us now. I pray, Spirit of the living God, that you would fall upon us in fresh, full, Pentecostal power. I pray that you would renew our mind and shape our soul so that we might desire righteousness and truth and that we would be repelled 
by the very thought of sin or error. Fill us so that we might honor you in our bodies each day this week. And throughout this week, I pray that you would prepare our hearts. Make us look forward so that when we gather again, we will freshly experience the great grace of our God. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Friends, you are blessed by God. Go forth and spread his blessing. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.